We got put on blast a few weeks ago, but you know, whatever. You guys know the deal. Right. The fuck? <laughs> We're moms. We don't have time to record every fucking Wednesday. Right. Anyway, we have a special guest today. We have the beautiful, talented mom, mama, entrepreneur, overall boss woman, Zoila Darton. Hey, ladies. <laughs> I'm so happy to be here today with you boss-ass mamas. <laughs> We're excited to have you. I'm, yeah. I'm excited that you're here. Um, I'm so happy that I know you. I and know. That I've I know. With you. Seriously. And we like, I feel like we have so many other connections in our life, but we somehow, I reached out to you for that panel. Mm-hmm. But and we knew each other through Nicole Russell, who was also on our show. Did we know each other before that, Well, though? you... No, I think actually you knew Nicole. I saw that you knew Nicole. I was like, wait, yeah. you know Nicole? Yeah. I don't know. If, did she connect us? Not she really. She didn't. I followed you guys. I don't remember why I followed the podcast, but I started following you guys. And then I followed, then I reached out to you. And then that was it. But then we realized Nicole and like, it was And just then your cool. friend last week knew knew Bruna. I was best yeah. friends with Bruna. Yeah. Everybody's connected. It's beautiful. I it love is. it. I yeah. love that. Um, well, can you let us let our listeners know a little bit about who you are, what you do? I know you do you dabble in many uh, things. I hate the question what I do because I feel like I do so many things. Um, well, I am from New York City. I was born in Spain, but I've been living. I grew up in New York for my whole life, and I moved out here to Los Angeles a little over three years ago to continue my career in the music business as an artist manager. And through a series of crazy, but I now say fortunate events, because the old me would have probably said unfortunate, but fortunate events, I no longer work in the music business. Um, I am the founder of a creative agency called Word. It stands for We Open Real Doors. And we do just that for women-owned businesses, um, brands that are interested in supporting women. And we also you know, work to create experiences and products and content to support women in their business and personal journey. So it's like a lot of stuff. I've been recently saying that it's kind of like my brain out into the world. Mm. Um, I think it has a lot to do with the way that I was raised. I was raised really freely. And uh, that was a positive and a negative. Because, like, it took me a long time to discover how to create routine and, like, be dedicated to one thing. Which I still can't do. (laughs) I think it's a lot of us. I think it's most people. But... You know, typically, especially in America, 
parents kind of drive their children to be to like be good at this one thing and like stick to that. And my mom was such a bohemian. She's a musician and, and a very prolific music publisher, Marty Cuevas. Hi, mom, love you. <laughs> um, she had a really um, intense upbringing and like not so great relationship with her mom. So when she, the way that she mothered my brother and me was like, here, do your thing. And like, I'm gonna just support whatever you wanna do, which is great, but it didn't really teach me how to commit. Um, and I have a wild imagination. I've always been a really big dreamer. And so when I would find something that I was interested in, I would like go full force into it. And uh, I just did that over and over and over and over and over again. And so now it's really cool to have a brand and you know a business where I can really express my creativity in whatever way and like kind of be my own master of my universe. That's amazing. Creative. I had no idea inspiring. you were. I didn't know you were in the music industry. Me too. I never knew that either. Yeah. So my, my both of my parents are musicians. Um, they met actually living in Spain. My mom is from San Francisco, and she fell in love with Spain, with Spain and Spanish. And so she's, she's white, and she moved out there um, and met both my father and my father's father. Mm. Um, and my brother was raised there until he was seven, and he's seven years older than me. So mm. by the time I was like nine months, we had moved back to the U.S. New York or? Um, we moved first to San Francisco until I was about two. And then we moved to New York. So my Both of my parents were jazz musicians. So that was like, you know, where you wanted to be. It's Mecca. Mm-hmm. But they got there <laughs> and there was no money to be had. So my mom threw herself into finding work, being, you know, the mom <laughs> and the level-headed person. And my father continued to be a jazz musician and, uh, you know, had his own thing going on um but my mom ended up working in music which was really fortunate for her as a musician and she through a series of events ended up owning her own music publishing company um in the in in the latin world um you know working with with groups like aventura romeo santos um really prolific bachata singers like just doing really dope things and i started working with her when I was around 26, I would say, or 25, I was interning at Refinery29 and, like, realized that financially that was not going to work. Like, even if I got a full-time job there, they wanted to pay me, like, nothing. And my mom really needed support um, on the marketing and creative side and, like, bringing in talent and also just, like, being kind of, like, a face of the company. So I went in and worked with her for seven and a half years in Mayimba Music. And actually, the way that I met Nicole Russell, who is one of our mutual friends we were talking about, is because of a Women's History Month campaign that I created for Mayimba Music. Mm. Um, we've, we featured 33 women just, like, paving their own ways in 2014, and that's how I met Nicole. And she was one of the women? She was one of the women, and we've become, you know, sisters since then. So working with your mom, what's that like? Because I, I work with my mom. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I always love to ask people that work with their parents because it's always, I get that face a lot. Well, how um, much time do we have? <laughs> okay, well, I don't want to do no, 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 I'm just Was it a good experience? I mean, did you- No, it was a wonderful experience. And I still, you know, do some things for her here and there, like in my in realm. York? She lives in New York. So my brother also works at the company, Mayimba. It's a family company. Um, and working with my family, 
was an experience. And I used to compare it to being in the mob. <laughs> because I felt like even if I wanted to go, there was no way out. Oh, God. Because it's like you want to build capital for your family. Right. Um, and you feel an obligation. Yeah. And, you know, it was a great experience. And my mom is incredible. And I, I just... I'm so in awe of her. And really, she's taught me everything that I know about business and how to be honest. And um, I'm so grateful for that. But working with my mom was tough because she was a single mother. We had already had a very um, complicated relationship in terms of like mom, daughter. Mm -hmm. Like sometimes I felt like we were more friends. Mm. She was just working so hard to make ends meet, um, you know, motherhood sometimes I think was a struggle for her. Not in just, like, the emotional, but, you know, in the logistical day-to-day, like, finding babysitters and all that, those things that we all understand. Um, and so when you add in working together, you know, sometimes we'd have to have conversations and I'd be like, Mom, I'm your daughter. Like, I just want to be your daughter right now. Like, please, like, I, you know... I, I don't want it to be a bit I don't want to be your coworker you know your employee. your employee like I I don't want that right now like I just need mom and daughter talk um and so that was really difficult you know and then there's obviously family dynamics and you know I'm kind of like the wild child of the family for sure my my brother was basically the man of the house so he's very regimented he's a musician as well very talented guitar player and so he is regimented and I never really was I was just like fly and I've just now as I become a mother realized that I like kind of raised myself and that's not to say that my mom didn't raise me at all but when I compare or look at you know the relationships and like the things that some of my friends had in comparison to me when they were growing up like i I was I was on my own a lot and um, but I'm grateful for all of it. It's made me who I am. Working with my mom was awesome. It was just it was a lot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I get it. I totally get it. What's your sign? I'm an Aquarius. Ooh. February twelfth, Abraham Lincoln's birthday. Nice. Um, so we ran into each other uh, last week at this K Swiss event. And or Foot Locker case was event. It was yeah. like we were watching Clueless, and I saw Zoila, and I was like, "Oh my god!" And then towards the end of the event, Jamila was with me. And we started talking, and we were talking about what you know, what's going on in the world with you know political po- politics and all this abortion talk. And I was telling Jamila after we were talking because it was like towards the end of the event, there weren't a lot of people around, but we were all discuss we were discussing abortion, and we were talking about our abortions. And I told you, I was like, it's so weird. Like, I felt really uncomfortable hearing you guys discuss it openly in public. I was like, I felt, mm. and I and I had to ch- ask myself why. And I think because as a society, we've been so shamed by abortion and talking about that. And now that I'm a mother, it feels like shameful, even more shameful to talk about. But then I was like, we're, but then now with everything that's happening, like these new Instagram accounts opening up and really like like shout your abortion yeah coming into place and talking about and really just normalizing it something has like switched in my head in just like um, two weeks um but I was telling you I was like I feel like it's so weird that I felt not weird 
but I know that most people would feel uncomfortable. And I was almost like looking around, like, can anybody, can anybody hear, hear us? <laughs> We're talking about our abortions right now. Should we like go in a corner and talk about this? And I was Should like, we not? whisper about it. And I thought like, okay, this needs to be a topic because. Why do I feel this way? Why do I feel this way? Why do most women feel this way? Well, because I thought about it too, and I thought in the moment, it's like, oh well, like people can hear us, and I was like, fuck it, like this, we need to talk about this shit. I don't care if I'm loud. I don't care. This is something that's that's important right now, you know. No, it is, but I, I couldn't help but really check how I was feeling, and I was like, do I feel comfortable talking well, we've, about this? We've all lived in the shadows of abortion, right? Like, almost every woman I know has had one, and the women that I know that haven't had one think it's because they're barren. Yeah. You know what exactly. I mean? They're like, I could just never get pregnant. That was me. Yeah. I, I thought I couldn't get pregnant until yeah. I did get pregnant. No. And so I think when it comes to normalizing it, um, we just have to continue to talk about it. And I think one of the mo- one of the really important interesting um, things that are coming out of this whole talking about abortion is how we're talking about men in relation to abortion. Because when a woman has an abortion, it's not just the woman that has it. The man is always not, he's never part of the conversation. He's never part of the conversation. And sometimes men aren't aware, right? That, That is a circumstance. But for me, for instance, I've had to have two. And it's with the, with my husband, who is my husband now, he was my boyfriend at the time, and like it was difficult for both of us, you know. I think a different kind of difficulty, but he was there too, and I think that one of the ways that we will destigmatize it is to have men support us in that conversation and not just say you know pro-choice women can do whatever they want with their bodies because yeah that's a fucking given and we're gonna that's what we want but we need to hear the stories from the men who have suffered from abortion as well what what do you mean in the sense that they wanted the baby and they weren't allowed to carry it out or in the sense that all of them all all of it all of it all of it like the guys that had to accompany their girlfriends and the guy you know just all of that stuff because this is not just a conversation about, you know, because the way that, like, the right or the pro-life people phrase it is that they essentially, they, they say that it's about religion, but what they really, what they really want to say is that it's about irresponsibility, right? And that, like, the woman is so irresponsible for, like, getting pregnant when she didn't want to get pregnant. Like, you shouldn't kill a baby because of it. It shouldn't be a form of birth control. It's just fucking ridiculous. Right, because no woman, let's be realistic, like, no woman's just fucking and saying, fuck it, I'll just go to the clinic next week. It's no. not, there's nothing fun about having an abortion. <laughs> no, it <laughs> is. not one fun part, like. So traumatizing. It's literally traumatizing as fuck. And the man literally comes and then that's it. And then we deal with it. And then we have to deal with it. And it's cold and it's lonely and it's miserable. And I just think that we just, when it really comes down to it, it's about censorship. And uh, there shouldn't be any, there shouldn't have to be censorship about it. Like, if you want to talk about your abortion, you should be able to. If you don't, you should be able to keep it secret as well. But, you know, why are we telling people what to do with their bodies? I have no fucking clue. It's like, it's mind-boggling to me to a point where, like, I can't even get into conversations about it because it's very upsetting. It's so strange to me that this is a conversation happening in 2019 when we still have 
you know, a really high percentage of poverty. Our education system is broken. We have psychotic people in the White House. (laughs) We're bombing countries. You know, we're killing the planet. Yet for some reason, we're regulating what a woman does in the privacy of her own time with her own body. So strange. It's oppression. It's another form of oppression, and it really gets me upset when I think about it. So the best thing I do is donate money. I'm donating proceeds of my shirts that I sell on my website to, you know, Neural Pro-Choice and the Yellow, Yellow, I mean, the Yellow Hammer Fund, and that's, like, what I can do because I have a lot of shit going on in my life that I need to take control of. So, like, the deeper I get into a topic like this, it just breaks my heart. You know, so I do what I can, and I just, like, I pray for humanity, honestly. I pray for us all. Like, I don't know what I would have, if, like, when I had my abortion, like, if I couldn't have gotten it. Where would you be? Who knows? I don't know what, to what end I would have gone, went to make it not happen. Right. To make not, this pregnancy not happen. Babies because, end up in the garbage, too. Yeah. No, I know, because the person I was pregnant by didn't even live in this country. It was fun time we were definitely not trying to get pregnant at all obviously i thought i was being safe pull out method you know um and i was young i was broke yeah like like what was i gonna be doing with a baby with a guy who doesn't even live here like who who who, like didn't want the baby either like what am i supposed to do like if, if that was planned parenthood wasn't an option for me like i don't know what i was gonna what i would have done and and it was the worst experience I've ever gone through. It was lonely. It was, I mean, thank God I had, I have amazing friends that like came over. I took the pill oh, and yeah. they like came How over. How old were you? Um, 24. Um, came over, I took the pill and you know, the women that came, the fr- the, my friends that came over, they had all had abortions too. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, they were telling me like, this is what it's going to feel like. Don't worry. We're here for you. I just remember taking the pill and just waiting, you know, waiting for like something to, something to happen. And then when it did, it was the most painful thing I've ever experienced, willingly. And besides childbirth. I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> um, but even that, I mean, I had an epidural. Like there was numbing when that. And, and you got a baby after. Right. right. Like this was it's just like, like totally heartbreaking. And and I just can't imagine like what I would have done. First of all, if I would have had a baby, like what? How? What would I have been doing? And secondly, if I didn't, if I didn't have access to, you know, this healthcare because abortion is healthcare. Let's be real. It is absolutely. Like, I, I don't know what I would have done. And I think about all the girls, even but before abortion was, you know, even possible. Like, what they were doing and how they were doing it, and all the people that died, you know, having abortions, having back alley abortions. It's just like. I can't, and yeah, it's like feels like handmade still. Well, it's a form of oppression because, like you said, what would you have done with your life had you not been able to have the abortion? So that's what we're seeing a lot of right now is a lot of stories of, of women. Um, actually, Quinn, I forgot her last name, but she's one of the co-founders of Loom. She just came out with her story of you know what would have happened to what happened to her because she was able to have an abortion. And so I think that there's a, a bunch of, there's a, a few different parts to why they want to ban abortion, but I do think that the root of it is oppression because when you give a, when you take away a woman's choice, 
you take away her freedom. And so you have 16-year-old girls or 18-year-old girls or a 30-year-old woman who isn't ready to get pregnant, isn't ready to have a baby because they're not where they need to be, you know? Like, and, and both of my abortions, I got pregnant twice on contraceptives. I got pregnant once on contraceptive. I mean, on with a condom, yeah. I was I was on birth control. Yeah. You know, it's 98.9% effective and that little percentage can happen. And we were not in the position to have a baby. My whole life would have been like different. Different and not destroyed because, you know, there are a lot of I know a lot of people who had children at very young ages. Um and one of them in particular who is like a, an energy healer, she told me that she didn't want to have the baby. She was very, very, very young. She did not want to have the baby, but there was something inside of her that told her that she had to. And when we look at her life, her life would not be what it is today if it weren't for that. And that was her choice mm-hmm. to do that. Right. She also had the choice to not do it if she didn't want to. And, like, I just... It honestly is so mind-boggling to me why we would do this to women. This is a direct war on us like they 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 want to they just want to keep a i mean and we're rising up right now i know so it's a really that's why that's That's why why. i know i I did like a little research about this because i was just like i need to know more facts about even before like what was happening before and it was shocking like the statistics but before roe versus wade was coming out versus now like one in six women it resulted, it resulted in death when they had one in six abortions led to death prior to Roe versus Wade. That is so many women. There was a million unwanted pregnancies a year in, in the United States. A million. And, and like 30% of those women were doing like self-inflicted abortions, mm-hmm. which ranged, first of all, it ranged from like um, douching and sticking like toxic things like bleach and potato, like weird things up your vagina. And there was nothing like obviously everyone knows like the coat hanger. Then it was even to the extent women were like, because it was back alley, asking like cab drivers, door people, getting blindfolded to hotel rooms so you could not see the person giving you the administering this fake ass abortion. Chiropractors were giving abortions. People like who have no prostitutes basically no literally anybody no. anybody and like literally women are dying bleeding out to death because they're humiliated like even after things have gone wrong not going to the doctor because they're humiliated they're humiliated because a they're terminating a pregnancy they're humiliated and it's legal right right <laughs> so like they're scared they're gonna get in trouble you know for doing something to their body versus versus the the statistics about when when it finally passed and we were we've been having safe abortions for all these years it's like ninety nine point nine percent safe and, abortions and we're actually at our lowest rates since yeah I saw that too Roe so, Wade. so our right abortion now, rates are at the, low, at the lowest, lowest and they were just like yeah that that was my biggest question when this came up I was like all this shit is going on in the world like global warming like the fucking prison system's fucked up. There's a lot of shit happening. Who the fuck, what old fuck is back there like, I know what we need to focus on. Let's overturn this shit that's been in place for a hundred years. Not even a hundred years, but like... I mean, even in Alabama, like when the they voted wo- in Alabama, wo- it was all men. It was one woman. She's 75 years old. She wrote the bill. Hasn't been what able a, to... What a cunt bitch. She wrote the bill. Judge K, she wrote the bill. What a fucking cunt. And hasn't been able to bear children in, I don't know, 40 years. Like... I want to know who hurt her. That's what I want to <laughs> well, know. No, to do enough. that to other women and make that part of your legacy, like what happened to you? 
what happened to you? And the fact that most of these politicians, guaranteed, have God, had their mistresses get an oh, abortion, it's, it's, it's had their kids get abortions horrible. that maybe had fun one weekend. Like they've they've used abortion you know what? You know, when it was when it was when it was personal to them and they needed it. First of all, the, like the statistics says like one in four women have had an abortion. First of all, there's three of us sitting here right now. We've had We've all, all three of us have had, had abortions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean I've had yeah, and I'm just like that statistic might be it might be higher because like you said, exactly the same. Well, you have to be telling the truth. You have to be telling if you're if you're taking thing. a survey and a lot of women don't tell the truth because they're ashamed. Even in the doctor, when you go to the doctor, like particularly Planned Parenthood, and they ask you, this to me felt like the most like I don't know, like invasive question, like how many live births have how many how many times have you been pregnant, how many live births have you had, yeah. and like being being like I've had one live birth, I've had X amount of abortions. It just always seems so demeaning. Like I always felt like fuck. Are you gonna really ask this? I know it's on the chart, bitch. <laughs> like, <laughs> I already wrote it down, right? Like, come on now. Yeah. But you know, like, like again, like men in no capacity experience this shame or experience this, like, th- the struggle that exists if, if you have an unwanted pregnancy. Like in college, like my freshman, I had a, I had a abortion like my freshman year in high school and my freshman year of college. Oh my goodness! Right. You were a baby. I was Could you 15. imagine? I was, yeah, I was 15. I turned 16. I waited really long because I didn't want to tell my parents. Oof. I went to Catholic school and it was. In the handbook. This was in the handbook. Like, this was not allowed. I had my best friend take me because she was the only one with the car. I lied to my parents. My, my The school was calling my parents that say I wasn't in school yet. So by the time I got out of the abortion, they, my, they knew what was up. They had to pick me up. But that guy, like, unfortunately, bust his heart. Like, his, I, I saw him homeless on the street, like, oh. on drugs. He had some issues. Like, that has nothing to do with that. But this other guy in college. But like, it does, though. Imagine right. that is the father of your child. And he did. Because you were a child. Babies. Right. I, I, he had issues, whatever. College comes. I was messing with some older guy, some fake-ass Muslim in Philly, who already had, for real, four kids, four baby mamas, got pregnant on a fucking column and was like, look, you know, he's like, well, I don't believe in abortion. Stop answering his phone. Literally, call my brother. I don't believe it. You know I'm Muslim. I don't believe in abortion. Nigga, I'm not Muslim, okay? And I'm going to be number five. And at the time, I was in Georgia. So we don't even realize, growing up in California, we have had so much access. Because mm-hmm. even that time mm-hmm. when I was in high school and Planned Parenthood, I didn't have to tell my parents. They don't tell your parents if you don't you request, which is what God sent. Because there's parents that would make their kids have a, like have, keep babies. Or they'll kick you out. Or they'll kick you out. So when I moved to Georgia, that shit is not free in Georgia. Here, you got, I mean, I went through great lengths to get that free abortion. Like, stood in lines and all these weird offices to get this paper or whatever. But in college, I remember, like having to get a credit card, borrowing some money from some friends, putting like the $600 on this, probably the limit of the credit card was $600, and like going through great lens because this guy was just like, what, click, <laughs> you know? I'm like, imagine if I would have two kids prior to Luna, you know, that's crazy. And the, and again, that guy, also the Muslim, is in jail. <laughs> and I have a friend who's a baby And I have a friend who has a baby by him. But it's just like... Men are not even included in this equation. Like, how is this even? 
Yeah, you were there too when it went down. <laughs> I saw this like meme or something saying like, like this hey, is not if a we're gonna outlaw, thing. If we're gonna outlaw abortion, then we need to outlaw you coming. Period. Because because they're little babies. You're, you're disposing your babies. You know. I think the next wave is gonna be women co-parenting babies. They're gonna go to sperm to sperm sperm donors and being like, hey, you're my best girl. Like. I don't even want to fuck with a dude. Like, let's just. Do you know how many times me and my friends have discussed like if everything doesn't work out by the time of a certain age, we're gonna all move in together. We're gonna be happy. We're gonna have like a little colony house. We'll it will exchange time when it's time to babysit. And you know, if you want to date, that's great. But really we'll make this. it our choice. Yes, we we'll fuck you. Dick isn't we even don't even need you. We don't even need you. No, but it's real. It's a real conversation. You know, like. And I think back to my two abortions that I had with, you know, my now husband. And I never even really, like, talked to him about how those abortions made him feel. But I'm sure he was afraid, as I was. And it's like, these are the, we need to hear these stories from men because these motherfuckers that are making these laws, you know, they need some other kind of pushback because they're not going to listen to us. Mm-mm. They're not going to listen yeah. to us. Like, women, we are s- a, such a threat to these people right now, to these men right now. And unfortunately, we have a lot of <clears throat> white ladies who are siding with them. And I'm like, y'all need to stop choosing your fucking race over your gender. Like, mm-hmm. if even statistically, like, the the abortion rates, more, it's actually more white women than any other, any other demographic. Wow. I didn't even know and that. The, I, I, I read that. Yeah. And they would, you know, the media and the way that the stories are being told and, you know, this narrative that we've created about, you know, Latinas have too many babies mm-hmm. and black women and their unfathered children and all this bullshit would have us think about Our ourselves. Dollars about our own people that we're the ones out here causing all of this ruckus when actually it's not even about us, right? Like the numbers are not about us. And it's like, I don't know what's going to happen. I really don't. I like to live in positivity, but I recently saw Rachel Cargill speak and somebody asked her like about the impending doom that like hangs over our heads and how does she feel about it you know as somebody that is a you know she is fighting racism she was like listen i just live my life the best way that i can i do my work she was like but honestly i am not optimistic damn and i feel her about everything or this topic about this country and like our issues. Right, right. I mean... They're not... Like, she's not optimistic that they're going to get better anytime soon. And that... Well, definitely not under... what, Not with well, who's in office right now. I mean, but it's also on a local level. Like, this is the thing that people are forgetting to, to, to take into account. Alabama... The, those people voted... forty, Actually, 46% of white women in Alabama... Or I think it's actually higher than that voted for a white male pedophile over a black man. Oh, to be in office. Yes. And that man is who helped pioneer the push of this overturning. And so when we're talking about government, we're also talking about local government. Like, what are we doing on the ground floor? Because, yeah, Cheeto in, in chief can do his things. But, like, at the end of the day, the United States governs as 50 separate Sorry, 50, like 50 separate, it's 50 separate states with 50 different, 50 separate laws. Like 
each state is allowed to do what they want. No, absolutely. And as a, as that's why you are able to have what we have in California. We're able to have what we have in New York because we're educated. We are open minded for the most part. Like we want change and we want we we don't mind other people doing well. But in some of these other states, I feel sad for my sisters out there because like that's where they live. They are simply being punished based on the fact that they happen to live in this state. Mm-hmm. I literally brought it up, don't ask me why, to my baby daddy about this like <laughs> outrage. And he's like, well, I don't know, like why even live in Alabama? I'm like, because people live there. <laughs> yeah, like Fuck. you can't just get up and leave. I mean, fucker, you don't have the means to... Never mind. I'm just like, because oh, <laughs> like, they were born there. That's all they know. Like, like I don't that, know. It's that, just matter. So everyone's gonna move out. Like, right. people are. I mean, it's just crazy. I mean, and it and it's it's what's even more crazy is that the, the states that have these like higher bans or like higher like bigger laws against abortion, they have higher rates of death in with women. Very low education rates. Very. I mean, it's obvious they're not that smart. The maternal mort- mortality rate is just higher because. Because people don't want to have these babies. You know what I mean? And they're still trying to figure it out. And what's it going to take? Like, uh, if, if Roe versus Wade were to get overturned, were we going to have to go out of the country to get abortions? Like, Well, they're making what? it illegal. They're saying if they find out that you went somewhere I know, else to do it, you would be imprisoned. I they're know. giving doctors life in prison. 99 years. And it's and also, this... and no exception in rape and incest? I can't. I, it's... <laughs> they so think you want that me to have my my, my rapist's baby? That's God's plan for you. I've never even understand that because I'm not like a huge God believer. But like, if this is your you know your Belief. master and your per, you know your your being, your spiritual being, like, why do you think that he wants to put you through pain and yeah. suffering? That's not God. That's not what God does. No. And so when these people hide behind religion. It really, it just flabbergasts me. I mean, furthermore, religion and politics have never gone together. Like, this is not a Christian country. Like, this is, like... I know, but it is. I know, but it's... Founded by the Puritans, girl. I know, but, like, how can you... Like, I, I don't... I'm so over, the like, the religious bullshit because, let's be real, like, you're doing this for... You have... You have different reasons. Like, if you're about God and you're about, like, the love... the so propaganda. Yeah, it's so... So propaganda to control people, you know, and keep them fearful of something. You know, if you're fearful of God and this is what I tell you God is going to do to you then if you don't do you. X, Y, and Z, yes. I mean, and we could get into real conversations about, you know, like medieval times and when this stuff like really started to come into, you know, what we would now call mainstream back then. I mean, it was just control, mind control. And, uh, oh, because that's another crazy thing. I read that, like, in the mid 19th century, it was legal, it was perfectly legal, it was, it was, it was promoted because the contraceptives weren't that effective. And then, when it, there was this evangelical spread that sweep over the United States, then this whole thing went into like, yeah, because it gave women agency over their bodies, they didn't have to become a mother and just be a mom, right. Because also back then, if you were a mom, that was it. You were not a working. There was no way to do right. both. You couldn't work and be a mom. So like, and I think still to this day, obviously, things are changing and women are more empowered and finding balance and understand that they can do both. But there's still a huge group of women that don't feel that way. And by taking away these 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 rights, there they are. A lot of them will just be moms. They won't ever pursue their yeah. dreams. They won't. They don't think that that's an option, and they don't have the means to. Like, I, they don't have a floor. I can't. They can't get a nanny. They can't no. get a nanny for the, a few hours so you can go do what the fuck you need to no. do. You know, like 
those things, those options don't exist for them. This is this the abortion bans. It's just oppression. It's, it's oppression of women. It's a war on women, and that's why I'm so scared. It's a war on mankind. It's a war on women, for sure. It is because the thing is, is that they don't care what happens to us after the babies are born. They don't care what happens to our babies after they're born. Yeah, they're I gonna mean, go. A lot of so many of these babies are gonna go into adoption. It's like if you're adoption really about babies, people, like if you're really about helping people, why aren't you trying to fix our education system? Issues, why yeah. don't you want? to fix our environment because if we don't have a planet who gives a fuck if you can have an abortion or not (laughs) you know so it's like it just doesn't add up and the only thing i can think of is that this is a war on women i agree i and that's why you know i really have become the type of person that (laughs) i probably like a few years ago would have hated but I try to live in like pure joy and gratitude and peace for like what I do have, what I can accomplish, the beautiful the beauty that is in my life because you know, Tarana Burke said it best. Your existence is resistance. Like just existing in my life and and living and doing the things that I love and being with the people that I love and creating with people that inspire me and having access to that and being able to access the higher part of my brain and vibrate on a higher frequency is the only thing that's going to keep me sane. Because if if I allow myself to to be consumed in the things that I can't control, I'll die. You know? So I'm like, I've just become this like huge advocate for finding the joy in your life in whichever way that comes to you, you know, whether it's like buying fresh flowers or if it's like fucking reading or like talking shit, whatever it is that like makes you feel like you are at peace. Like, do that because there are forces out there that want to destroy us. And so just living in your joy and living in your purpose, that is a fight in itself. Absolutely. It, it really is more than ever now because there's so many distractions and there's mm-hmm. so many things to make you feel less than constantly. Um, and you don't have to because everything that you like, everything that we need is inside of us. It just takes a really long time. It takes a lot of different experiences and people and deep, deep, deep diving to understand how to access that power. And like, I'm not somebody, I'm not going to say that I've accessed it fully because that's not true, but I'm getting there and it feels good. And I feel like the more I can access my power, the more I can help other people that are powerless. And you align when you're in power of yourself and you're in this space, you align with people you're supposed to be aligned with. 100%. You know, like when you're living and you're, like in your truth and your purpose and you're and you're happy then suddenly everything the universe you know conspires in your yeah. favor and i think we don't realize like this is a, a grand time to be a woman to be a black a woman of color but like the community that we build by by having the conversation in a fucking footlocker party saying i've had x amount of abortions mm-hmm. and creating this conversation and being honest about it and 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 you know just having that conversation is like shifting erica's 
thought process on how, you know, and maybe the woman in the corner who heard us that didn't even know us is shifting and feeling and, and or the guy, you know, the man. And he's like, damn, this is, this is important. And just this podcast that maybe, you know, whoever many people are, you know, just these stories, like our stories, our experiences as women are valid. We've been put to be shamed for so long for things that are normal things. You for know? everything. For everything. You work too hard. You're, you're a, you're a housewife. Like, you know, oh, she's too fit. She's too Oh, you don't want kids? Yeah, it's like everything that we do is is like the opposite of what we should be doing. <laughs> yeah, so you're too sexual. You're not sexual enough. Either. So like, what do you want from us? Yeah. And so I think, you know, and this is the thing that got these people that are now, you know, feeling emboldened in their power. That's what got them there in the first place. And that's one thing that they did right. They all talked about it. They were loud about it. And it turned the other racist person to the right to feel like, oh, we're out here, like yeah, I'm gonna join on right, your exactly. on your carriage. So for us, the people that are trying to live in our truth and and want peace and want love and want visibility and all of these things, the best thing that we can do is be loud in that mm-hmm. and take up space in that, so that we can bring you know more of our sisters, more of our brothers that like feel the same way that we do, and we can build this energy field, you know, and 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 that will vibrate out to those other states where this shitty these horrible things are happening because those people like they've they've been asleep because they've had no choice right you know that's the environment that they were bred in and so but from struggle and pain comes beauty you know and and you have to find how to get that so and now we have the internet so they can see you know girls who maybe felt powerless can see can relate to somebody in California, can relate to somebody in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and be like, oh, if she can do it, I can do it too. Mm -hmm. You know, Beyonce even said it in Homecoming. She's like, I just want people to see what I've done because if my country ass can can do do it, it, they can too. Right. And so that's why I truly believe, like, living fully in your joy is, like, one of the most powerful things that we can do. And I was programmed, I'm a New Yorker, you know, I was programmed to be like, Bitch, please. Like, cynical as fuck. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, like, like, you know, New York, we're like, we thrive off of how much we can beat ourselves up. Like, how much did you get done today? Mm-hmm. And now I, I, you know, I just, I can't live like that. I want to live in peace and enjoy and I want to radiate that so that other people can be attracted to my field. And there's going to be some people that are going to be like the old me and be like, ah, she's so annoying with her positivity. <laughs> but let me tell you, the day will come where they will have to face those truths, you know, about them and and look deep into why they're like that. Mm -hmm. Because it happened to me, Mm -hmm. you know. I had to understand why I was so negative and why I always looked for, like, the shitty things in life. We're programmed to do so. And annoyed by other people's happiness. Yes, yes. Because you don't, you feel like you don't have anything to, which is bullshit. You know, I was... Well, you think it's... Dis- you think they're not being genuine. Right. You're like, no one's that fucking happy. Calm the fuck down. <laughs> you know? And sometimes they're not being genuine. And of sometimes course. they are. Of and like, You know, Jada Pinkett, I saw her um, at the Red Table Talk, and she was talking about gratitude, which is something that I've been... I was telling you, Mila, earlier today. Like, I do a gratitude journal every single morning. Well, I try to. You know, I list three things that I'm grateful for after I meditate. And it's changed my life. And she said it. She was like, even in this home, and you know, they're the Smiths. Like, they have 
an abundance of anything that they need. She was like, there are moments where we feel empty and there's a void. And what I've had to teach Willow is we're going to sit down and we're going to fill that jo- that void with gratitude because we always have something to, to be, be grateful, grateful for. for. Mm-hmm. Like, even if it's a fucking roof over your head, clean sheets, clean water, that is something. You know, a conversation you had with your friend, a flower you saw on the street. Like, there are so many things... That you can find joy in. Anything. Love it. The fact yeah. that you can taste. Coffee, the fact that you can man. Walk. Yo. You have legs. Yeah. You know? No, like, seriously. You can go, right? You can go wherever you want. Yeah, Your right. legs will take you where you want to go. Um, and of course, there are c- circumstances where it's desolate and, and life is really hard. But I've been to some of the more impoverished communities in the world you know my mom has done a lot of work in the Dominican Republic and like we've done we've met and there's always joy there's always joy like people could be living in nothing con nada and there's always joy somehow whether it's through music that you could literally make with your hand or like a conversation that you had with your friend like your grandmother like whatever Mm -hmm. and so in this modern day, how are we, how are we not able to see the clear, the clarity that is with already within us, right? So I just, I, I try to, I try to work on that. That's like, that's like what saves me. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. I mean, I feel like even hearing it is a reminder to myself. I mean, I, I always try to do that as well. But even this morning, I woke up. And I woke up, and I haven't been meditating. I used to meditate every day. I've been falling off, but mm-hmm. this morning, I think it's, a lot of it is because either me and Irie wake up at the same time. Sometimes I'll try to meditate with her, mm-hmm. but she's like, looks over at me. She's like, "Are we done?" Um, she's like, "You want me to sit still for how long? Yeah, like just ten minutes?" <laughs> um, uh, but I woke up, and I was like, "Okay, I know I don't have time to meditate, but I'm gonna like sit here and go through a list of all the things I'm grateful for in my head." And I did that, and I just, I woke up, and I woke her up, and I just felt immediately like, I'm ready to start my day. I feel amazing, you know? And I'm not grateful for material things. I'm grateful for the people in my life that I'm able to wake, that I'm able to share, you know, a conversation with you this morning, that, you know, I have a beautiful, healthy child in the other room that I'm going to wake up and get dressed and experience her joy, because a child's joy is so pure. Oh, my God. So pure. And, you know, you how how old is Dakota? He is about to be 16 months. Oh, my God. Yeah, in June. Just ex- being able to experience that daily is such a reminder of like, oh, this other shit doesn't matter. matter. Yeah. It, doesn't it doesn't matter. Matter. I mean, it does in ways like like we're talking about abortion and our rights, and we want our children to be okay, and that's what we're, that's really like what I fight for, you know. But at the end of the day, presently at this moment, like, what are we grateful for? Yeah, you know, and. I think a lot of times we lose sight of that. And it's really important for your mental health, sustainability, even physical health, yeah. that you remind yourself of those things. Yeah, we're programmed to, 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 to tune into what's missing. Yeah. And we have to reprogram ourselves to, turn into, to tune into what we actually have. Right yeah, it's, it's like everything. I'm learning that now. <laughs> <laughs> it takes time. I mean, shit, I'm 31. I'm going to be 32 this year. And I feel like I'm just really understanding my happiness and what makes me happy. And like, you know, when you're a kid, you think, oh my God, 25, you're so old. Oh you should have God. it all figured out then. No. And to those women that are listening right now, because I know we have people that listen from teenage, like at like late teens to, you know, 
40 and plus. But like for those young women that are in their 20s, like it's okay if you don't have it figured out. I didn't. You didn't. And that doesn't we define didn't. you. It doesn't define Shit, you. Shit, I don't really have it figured out right now. Don't neither do no, I. I, I told you. I just, I'm always flying by the seat of my pants. I'm 34 years old. I had to restart a career. Like, it's, it's hard. It's never going to be easy. But you have everything that you need to survive in you. In you, right. And yeah, and you have to be, like, go back to the basics. But it's like basic, basic things that you should be grateful for because that always really is the most important thing. And like at every, in every stage of our lives, first of all, we're constantly growing, hopefully. And like there's no number, there's no age where it's supposed to be perfect or shit's supposed to be right. Like even in the conversation of abortion, I think a lot of times it's, it's way easier to discuss an abortion when I was in ninth grade. Or an abortion my freshman year of college. But it's not as easy to discuss, like, you know, I was with my husband, you know, and, you know, and now you have that, a baby. It's, it's always, it, you, even for me, like, having an abortion after having a baby, like, these are things that, I, because of the age or the, like, the, 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 the pressures that I feel like I'm supposed to be at a certain place or I'm supposed to have my shit together, I'm not supposed to have an abortion after 30. That's right. crazy. I'm an irresponsible fucking way adult. Like, I'm no, way old, you that's know? your choice. Right, right, right. And it's like, there's just so many things put on us that we're, like, it's literally taken until this point to start realizing it and dismantling it. Well, people create these age, like, these, like, markers in age, right? Like, okay, by this age, you're supposed to have this. And by this age, okay, graduate college at 23, 24. Then by 26, you probably have, like, hopefully you have, like, a really great job and you're working towards your dream job. And then by 30, you know, well, and now... And a stable relationship. Yeah, you're, you're, starting, you're, da- you're starting to date someone <laughs> seriously who's potentially going to be your husband. Now you're talking babies around 28, Hopefully you have one before you're Hopefully 30. the ring is big. You know, and oh, then... yeah, the ring. Yeah. <laughs> like, Lord Jesus, the ring gotta be big. He has to be like, we have to have a place. I gotta have to have my shit together. Like, fuck, and we don't have all 30,000 followers plus these four <laughs> It's too much. And it's, what is that even based on, right? right? It's no, based on a system that was built... For you to buy into at certain points of your at certain age by the patriarchy, you know, like all of this stuff was built by the man, you know. How does your husband feel about all of your, you know, your opinions and your? Does he support all? Like he has no choice but to listen. (laughs) My husband has experienced extreme growth. We've been together since we were 22 years old, 12 years, celebrating five years of marriage in September. Ooh, thank you. And, um, you know, we were raised so differently. I mean, just literal black and white. Like, he's white. <laughs> I'm mixed. I'm black, I'm black and, and Jewish and Latina. Like, all these things. And so our experiences in life just are so different. And the things that we had to worry about are so different. Whereas I had to worry about everything. And he had to worry about, like, almost nothing. Um economics economically speaking you know like he had a leg up as opposed to me who who my you know my mom was a musician and bohemian and like you know worked really hard to make ends meet and thankfully she got out of that but like we're just so different and so the things that I get riled up about and that matter to me are I was built to be that way my mom marched in the civil rights movement you know in in San Francisco and like she she's like you know always been super political so that was just a part of me and when we got together you know my husband was kind of like a derelict i mean we were both derelicts in our own way but like i was always very much like i had my goals mm-hmm. 
And over time, I remember there was a specific moment. And I think it was when all the girls went missing in Nigeria. Mm-hmm. And I brought it up to him, and he didn't know what I was talking about. And, yo, I went buck wild. <laughs> We were in D.C., I remember. It's all coming back to me. We were in D.C., we had just had dinner, and we were walking, and we were talking, and he didn't know, and we're in the, we're in the nation's capital, and I'm like, this motherfucker. I'm like, what do you do with your time? How do you not know about this? It's been all over the news, and I got so angry with him for not caring about humanity and not arming himself with information because the man that I'm going to be with needs to be aware. And I really think he took that to heart because not to say that he's like, you know, up on everything all the time, but he definitely listens to me more and wants to know, you know, what's going on. And he's happy to to have me as a teacher when it comes to, you know, anything in politics or just like culture stuff that is not relating to things that he likes, which is like actual art. Like he's an artist, you know, street culture and like baseball, music, like those are his things. Um, and so we have a lot of discussions and, and I think (laughs) one of the more recent discussions we did have, um, that was kind of like eye opening for him was about how we were going to raise Dakota, um, and speaking towards, uh, sexuality and how men, men's relationship with women. And I told him, you know, it was like right after Me Too was happening. And I told him, I was like, you know, for, for, for this to change, we need to reprogram how we raise our boys. And he didn't really understand what I meant by that. He was like, he was like what do you mean? Like, uh. And then I gave him an example. I was like, you know, when a little boy hits a girl, we say he does it because he likes her. That's not a... Yeah. And I remember him looking at me and being like, I'm like, yeah, I'm like, that's so messed up. And so it's those conversations that we're having, you know, and sometimes it gets really heated and and I I feel bad because I expect him to know things that he doesn't know, but I'm always working on him. I'm always, I'm always going to do it. Um, Especially when it comes to anything that's race related, you know, because he doesn't live my experience and it's annoying to have to teach people, but he's my husband. I love him and he's the father of my child and I want to make sure that whatever needs I need to be that need of mine that need to be met, like he needs to know that they need to be met. Mm-hmm. And so if I'm not talking about it, like how, how do I expect him, you know, because not everybody lives in our experience and like this is I think a conversation that we need to be having in general like proximity is real. But with our friends too that are not people that are not women or men. But of just color. in general, the way that we approach these conversations with people, yes, there are some people that don't deserve the fucking time of day, but like in terms of race, gender, all that stuff, like it's about proximity. If you were not brought up in a home that that talked about this, it's really difficult to reprogram your mind to see other sides of things. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that's just how 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 it works with us. I, I we talk a lot, and sometimes I just babble, and he just sits there. <laughs> but for the most part, he's receptive and he's understanding, and you know, it. It makes me feel very confident for the way that we're going to raise our child. Mm -hmm. Because I want to have a home where these things are talked about. Because that's why I am the way I am. Because my mom talked about this kind of stuff with me 
from when I was a kid. And, you know, those moments where you're like, ugh, mom, like, this is so embarrassing. Like, don't talk about sex. But, like, it does make a difference. And we need to normalize these conversations and have them with our spouses, have them with our friends, or and not be afraid of potential conflict. Mm-hmm. But also learning how to speak in a way that is... Not off-putting. Yeah. It makes it's, them it's, want to... Sit down with you. Sit at the table with you. Right. Because right. sometimes you get so angry. Well, that's what I'm. That's I'm what like, I'm referring to. Because it's proximity. Like if they're not used to having these conversations, like it can get really scary. It can feel attacky. I recently had a situation with my mother-in-law, and it, you know, it was like we had to. I had to break things down for her, and it was very difficult for me. Because I also looked at her as like somebody that I assumed would know all of these things, and she didn't know any of these things. And I was like, "How the fuck do you not know this?" Like, ah. it's so interesting because when I think of like interracial relationships, um, I've never been in one, um, but I, not because I like shy away from them. I just, first of all, white men don't generally hit on me, or maybe what? I don't notice. For real? Yeah, maybe I don't notice. Um, and also, there's been that. It's like I think. That's where it started, and now it's to the point where now I'm just like, well, I like what I like, and mm-hmm. also I don't want to, ha- I don't want to have to have that conversation, which is not fair either. Like I don't want to have, I don't want to have to explain the race shit right. to you. I don't want to explain my outrage. I don't want you to get annoyed by my outrage, and then me get annoyed by you. <laughs> yeah. But then I also didn't even think about like, okay, it's not even just him, but then he has a whole family. That I'd have to not not explain. No, it's but true. Like, but but they'll be they may be uncomfortable. Girl, but when you but when you but 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 you can't help who you love and like and if you have a partner that is that Willing, loves you yeah. and wants to know who you are, what your experience is, yeah. especially now having a baby that you know maybe maybe to the world might not look like he's black or but he Latin. is yeah but like. Sometimes people yeah. feel like when they have those babies, they don't have to have those conversations with them because oh, they're going to pass. Oh, have all the well, conversations. Well, of course. That, you're his mom. And so the grannies <laughs> and the grandpas, too. But and I, they all know. Right. I don't take this I don't take this lightly. Right. It's very important to me. Have you, because you guys have been together for so long, have, what, have you experienced, like, a lot of judgment in your relationship? Or? You know what? I, no. People think we're a beautiful couple. And... That's awesome. Um, also, Zach is kind of ambiguously, raci- like racially ambiguous in his looks. Sometimes, depending on what he's wearing, he can look very white, like a Kennedy. But he can, but he's, you know. I he's, know, because I've looked at him before, like, hmm. He's from the Lower East Side. He grew up around, like, his best friends are all people of color. Like, you know, he was, he's an artist, he's a graphic designer, he wrote graffiti. Like, it's, like, not... So he can look Puerto Rican sometimes, or he can look Latino sometimes, and he's part Sicilian, so there's definitely like some other blood in there. <laughs> um, but for the most part, no. But what I have experienced personally with him, um, I'll give you one example. It's so sad that, that, that I feel this way, but at moments he validates me depending on where I am. Like, I feel validated by having him next to me. Mm. And that is something that... Like, if you're in a white space... That's so crazy, because you're not the first woman I know who's with, a, uh, like, a black woman who's with a, a non-black man who said that. That's because so it isn't... And, and I'm not... I And you know, you guys know me, like, I can work a room. Like, oh, yeah. I can be anywhere. But there have been situations where I've been like, holy shit, like, thank God 
you know, Zach is here. There was one such one one moment in particular. My brother got married in Martha's Vineyard, and Oof. when you go to Martha's Vineyard, I've been there. you fly, you know, from Boston, or we were flying in from New York on these tiny planes. And, you know, Martha's Vineyard is a white town, other than Oaks Bluff, which is actually the More diverse, first, yeah. it's one of the first places in the United States where black people were actually allowed to own property. Wow. Wow, I didn't even realize that. Yes, because, uh, That's probably this is Dana like, and this is a there. side note, you've seen the, ink, the Inkwell? The Inkwell is about Martha's oh, Vineyard. Right. That's what the that the movie The Inkwell is about Martha's Vineyard because it's a beach, isn't it? Inkwell beach. so that what's now called Oaks Bluff mm. is where all of the nannies and like mm. how and like and like butlers and stuff would live, mm. and the people that you know the white people that lived there they wanted their staff to feel honorable, so they you know and like I think there was also like. Uh, some kind of policies like it was just like there's like a really deep history I'm not super familiar with it but yeah so there are a ton of black people on Martha's Vineyard but there were none on this flight (laughs) 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 so I got on and Zach I don't remember why he got on after me so I'm sitting there and I'm like ugh it was like really intense. I really wanted him to get on the plane and sit next to me. Because whether they were or not, I could feel the eyes on me. And you know, I'm a mixed kid. I've always been confused about where the fuck I fit in, like always. And uh, it was just a really intense experience. And there's been other moments like where we're walking on the street and, and Zach does this thing where he walks like four, you know, six feet ahead of me. It drives me insane. I've been literally asking him for 12 years to stop. <laughs> yeah, he's much taller. His legs are longer. <laughs> and I'm like, I need you to be next to me. Especially now we have our kid. Like if he has a stroller, I'm like, I look like the crazy like black lady behind you, like trying to catch up. And you know, maybe that's just my own internalized racism that I've had to deal with, you know? But, like, those are real things. That shit is real. That internalized racism. Ooh, child. Where it's like no one else is feeling this way like, except but you. you. But sometimes you, it's sometimes it's not just you, you know? But sometimes it, it is. is just you. Sometimes no. it is. Yeah. There, was a, there was a time when we were upstate. Um, Zach's father, who I love so much, they're, him and his step, they're amazing. I mean, I love Zach's family. They're incredible. But they have a house upstate. And, it's you know, it's like a... Small upstate town, all white people, and we were at a diner eating, and everything kept coming except for mine. And the whole time I'm sitting there, like, like water. I'm talking like, like everybody got water except for me. <laughs> what? Oh yeah, and I'm like, and then it would come later, and then like the food, everybody's food would come, and then mine would come last. And I never get my food last. Zach is actually the one who always gets his food last. The whole time I was sitting there, all I could think about was that. They were racist. <laughs> and maybe they weren't. But we have literally grown in this world where, like, my second week of college, I was making out with a white dude, and he somebody screamed nigger lover out the window. Oh, my God. You know? I, and I'm from New York. I haven't really experienced that at that time. I was 18, you know, in University of Delaware, like, oh, shit. two and a half hours away from New York. It's not far. It's tiny. It's far right enough, there, far enough, but yeah. far enough for, you know, somebody to drive down Main Street every Sunday with a Confederate flag, you know, waving from their truck, because that would happen. And so, you know, we just, I just know what's out there. It will and jolt you. it's really hard. And the thing is, is like, Kanye said it best. Even when I'm in a Benz, I'm still a nigga in a coupe. Like, no matter how hard we fucking work... 
people still assume that you are what they want you to be. And that goes for everybody. It's not necessarily only a race thing, but we definitely experience it more. Like, I've been in the park before, and everybody thinks I'm Dakota's nanny. Nobody thinks I'm his mother. And then, you know, some white, well-meaning white ladies will be like, oh, it's because you just, you look so young. And I'm like, mm. Is that why? Okay, yeah, bitch. Right. I'm wearing a, a huge engagement ring. Like, <laughs> really? That's what you think? You just didn't, like, scan me mm-hmm. properly. You, you think and you I'm... look like a woman. Yeah, like, I'm a grown-ass <laughs> right. woman. You look like right. a woman. <laughs> so, you know, it's... But what's really interesting for me now is that I because I'm... You know, my father is Panamanian and Jamaican, and my mother is, like, Eastern European Jew, German, Polish, Russian... And, you know, she did her best to kind of inspire me to, to, to lean into who I am culturally. But unless you're surrounded by it, it's hard. Like, I don't know anything about my, my Jamaican family. Because my grandfather came over from a grill to Panama to build a canal. And he never went back. Met my grandmother and called it a day. So I don't even know anything about, like, my black, black Jamaican side. But, um... I have just now, in my mid-30s, started to really see myself fully as a black woman, not just as a Latina, not as a mixed kid, or, uh, you know, a, a Jew, which is another thing I used to hide behind because I felt like it validated me to white people. I'm like, nah, I'm black, I'm proud, it's great, you know, and I'm, I'm happy that I can be this woman now for my son. Mm. You know, and hopefully for if I have another kid, you know, whatever he or she comes out like, like I want to be this, this confident in who I am because then they can't break me. Right. Right. And I don't think they'll be able to break my kids either if they see it in me. Mm-hmm. So, well, what an incredible mom, like how lucky are your kids? You're an incredible woman. Yours too. All you of us. I mean, like, dang thank you. Yeah. I mean, I'm just so happy that. You share your knowledge with our listeners, and yeah, you're an incredible woman. So I'm happy that <laughs> Thank we met you. you. I'm really happy to meet you. Met you. So, what a great way to spend my two. I only have two days that I get to work outside the house, so this is like a perfect way to start it. I'm Thank grateful you. you came to Hamilton. I'm so grateful. And it only took 35 minutes. It's not, the valley's not that far. And you left at a good time. It's 10.30, yeah, like, yeah, that, 10 like 30, that moment yeah, yeah, of like yeah. no traffic. You, yeah. Like even now when you leave, you'll probably, you'll be okay too. I'm going to WeHo. So. Yeah, yeah, you'll be fine. Too. I'm just so happy that you came. Thank so you. Can you tell yeah. our listeners where they can find your you? Podcast yes, your podcast. Yes, please. As well? um, I just started my own podcast. It's called The Women I Know. And I think you might have to, you might hear these ladies on it. Um, it's very new. We only have a few episodes, but you can find that on my website, which is word.agency, no.com, just word.agency. And there's a bunch of stuff on there. Um, How do you do that? I know. I was like, that exists. How you got a website? bought a dot agency. Oh, damn. They didn't have dot com. It was taken. So that's what I did. Okay. Um, And that's also my company Instagram, word.agency. And then my personal Instagram account is Zoila, Z-O-I-L-A, Darton, D-A-R-T-O-N. And yeah, come find me. I'm always like talking some shit. I'm trying to be cute. And also you know? always like connecting women and connecting yeah. moms. I, li- I live for it. You have like the, you're like the resource woman I live woman for of it. Like I like Zoila asked me to come on a panel, I was like, Me? I you want people what? I'm gonna talk? What am I gonna talk about? Like and now I'm like 
oh my god, now I'm in a place now where I'm like, let's just everyone, we need, all need to talk. All we all we talk. do. <laughs> the more you talk, the better so you, you really learn that that part of me too. And I'm so grateful that to know you and be able to you know be embraced by you and get, being included in the things that you're doing, you meet other women, community. Yeah, I love that. I love it. I love it so me much, too. especially because you know me and Jamila are on this this unexpected journey of like. I mean, I, I've always, obviously, like, I think in, when I was young, like, I, I was always kind of, like, I always felt like I didn't have, like, a huge connection to, like, women. Mm. I always was kind of, like, felt, I was, I think growing up, you know, as, as moms and as women, we think that we're protecting our girls by saying, oh, they don't like you because they're jealous of you. Mm. And so it always felt like I was in a competition. You're looking at me confused, but it's true. <laughs> No, I'm laughing. I'm not looking at you. <laughs> no. Um, and I feel like I'm, I'm in a space now, and it's taken me until my late 20s to 30s to really be like, no, this is it's not a competition. We're no. all in this together. And I feel so glad that I'm on this journey of like empowerment and being able to empower the women that we that listen to us. And honestly, they empower me and yes. Mila as well as too. It's a, it's a, not a one way street. We create out of necessity. Yeah. And so anyway, I'm so grateful that I've, I met you along the way. Same here. <laughs> I love you ladies. I do love you. Thank you for having me here. Yes. Okay guys. Um, we'll see you guys next week. Make sure to follow us at good moms underscore bad choices. Um, we have new merch on our website, www.goodmoms.com badchoices.com um and that's it that's it right? all right bye